From our earliest days of life, most of us want to make a difference in this world. There is not a kid in this country who gets to that place in second grade where you are required to write about what you want to be when you grow up and who pens something like this. When I grow up, I want to be a first-class consumer. I want to spend my days eating and drinking and using up stuff. Even the most secular kid is much more likely to want to be a firefighter or a doctor or the person who brings an end to crime or to wars or who finds the cure for some disease. The world may eventually come along and distort that dream. The world may come along and defeat those dreams and distract them from those dreams. But most of us start out in life with this inborn sense that we have been sent here, we have been put here to do something very important. The Bible says that we were put on this earth to do something very important. That we were sent to this earth for a ministry and for a mission. As we'll explore further next week, your ministry is the role that you get to play in the life of God's family, in the life of the church. Your ministry is the influence that you get to have upon the lives of other believers in your local congregation, in your home, uh, in your circle of Christian friends. But your mission, on the other hand, is the role that you get to play and the influence you get to have on people outside the Christian community. People in the world. People of the world. Now the word mission, as you probably know, comes from the word for sent. Missio, as in sent. People who serve on a military mission, for example, often speak of being sent under orders. By that they mean that they have been sent out by the act of a higher authority. And they have been sent out on behalf of that higher authority to act. And they feel towards that higher authority a deep allegiance and a sense of accountability to fulfilling their mission. Jesus of Nazareth lived with exactly that sensibility. He lived with a sense of having been sent. When he was just 12 years old, this characteristic showed up very visibly as his parents found him in the temple after he'd gone missing. Why are you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Later on, Jesus made it absolutely clear again how important his father's authority and commissioning was to him. He said, and I quote, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Further along, he again stressed his sense of dependence on, his alignment with the great sender by saying, my teaching isn't even my own. It comes from him who sent me. 
So if I judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. Always I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus said that the mission God had sent him on was to deliver people from this world. It was to deliver people from the spiritual blindness, from the slavery to sin that imprisons them in behaviors and attitudes and broken relationships in this world. Jesus said he had come to free them and to transform people into citizens of the kingdom of God, to make them part of God's family, to teach them to live according to God's life-giving purposes. My Father, Jesus says, has sent me, and I quote, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. And Jesus says on another occasion, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I must, I am compelled to preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. I must fulfill my mission. Christ's focus on fulfilling his mission was absolutely phenomenal. It filled his imagination. It poured through every pore of his being. Every word and action was about the mission. At one point after a long journey, one time Jesus' disciples were exhausted and they called upon Jesus to go with them into the village of Sychar to catch a lunch break. But Jesus had seen a woman coming down the road, and he, he could sense that this woman didn't yet know the joy of citizenship in the kingdom of God. And he wanted to help her become a part of God's family. And so as Jesus says, in effect, you guys, you go on into town. I'll stay here. And they countered, but you've got to eat something. And then Jesus responded, and I picture him responding with a twinkle in his eye and a wry smile in his face. It's okay, guys. It's all right. My food, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. my food, my meat and potatoes, my burger and fries, the stuff that fills me up and gets me going, keeps me going, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Shortly before he died, Jesus prayed to the Father in those words we've read, saying, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you sent me to do. And the last words John's gospel records Jesus saying from the cross before he gave up his spirit were these words, it is finished. At 12, I must be about my father's work. And on the cross, Hallelujah. I finished the work. 
That's what I want to be able to say to God someday. When I stand before him. I want to be able to say with my last breath here on this earth, Lord, I know you sent me to do a work here. I know I didn't wind up here just by accident. I know you sent me to do a work here. It was really hard sometimes, God, as only you know, letting go of my will and letting your will become the consuming passion of my life. Thank you for standing with me, Father, each step of the way. Thank you, Lord, that I wasn't alone, even when I felt alone. I can honestly say that doing your will, God, eventually, bit by bit, became food to me. Became the stuff that I live for, that filled me up and fulfilled me more than anything else. And I hope, God, that I brought you just a bit more glory, glory to your name, by the way, I did the work you sent me for. And I'm ready to go home now, Lord, because my mission's finished. Wouldn't you like to be able to say something like that at the end of your days, too? Just reporting in, sir. Mission accomplished. Rick Warren suggests that the mission of every member of the family of God, the mission of every follower of Jesus Christ, has two crucial dimensions to it. One, a specific dimension. And two, a shared dimension. Part of your mission in life is very specific to who you are and the way God has made you. In other words, nobody has a mission just like you in this regard. Warren calls this your life message. I'd call it your witness. It's like your voice print or like your fingerprint on this world. It's it's the thing you do when you're in the witness stand, in a sense, and it has four crucial elements to it, each of which I want to try and touch on briefly. The first element is your testimony. A major part of your mission in life is to bring glory to God through your testimony, through the telling of the story of how God has touched and transformed you, your life. Your testimony is your personal answer to questions like these ones. What was my life like before I met Jesus? How did I come to see that I needed Jesus? How did I turn my life over to him? What were the steps by which I committed myself to following him? And what difference has Christ made in my life? What issues has he clarified for me? What 
crises has he brought me through? What changes has he wrought in me? And every time you tell your unique story to someone else, you bring glory to God. And you exert an influence in a way that no sermon, no theological argument, no treatise could possibly accomplish in that way. Your testimony is like a one-of-a-kind masterpiece of art. Your testimony is like the great unpublished work of a master writer. Your testimony, the story of what God has done to you and in you and with you, is a reflection of God's glory that must be shared many times over the course of your life with as many people as you can. A second element of your specific mission involves sharing your life lessons. Sharing the most important truths that God has taught you. The prophet Malachi says that God is like a refiner and purifier of gold and silver. In other words, God refines our character and teaches us truths through the fires of life. How have you experienced God teaching you in that way? People need to hear this. What are the life lessons that God has taught you personally through your failures? What are the great truths that God has taught you through experience with conflict or with criticism? How has the Lord shown you more of himself or his plan or the way life works through seasons of suffering in your life or when God seems silent? How has God revealed the truth about life and himself to you through painful losses and temptations? In other words, if you were to jot down your own personal version of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, if you were to write down your own life's little instruction book in order to be able to pass it on to your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your workmates, what would be the truths in it? What would be the life lessons that God has taught you? Sharing this is part of your mission. You also express your life message through your godly passions. The prophet Jeremiah once described God's calling in his own life as like fire in his bones. If I say, says Jeremiah, I will not mention God or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Sharing God's word, talking about God in in the world was, was the godly passion of Jeremiah's life. And woe to him if he didn't live out 
that godly passion. There are many in our congregation who are fired by God in that kind of way and in different ways. John and Marge Kelly of our congregation have a burning passion, I know. They've never had to tell me about it. I can just see the light of it in their eyes, a burning passion for the poor children of Cairo. And their mind constantly turns on what they can do for those kids, how they can help those kids, how they can pray for those kids. Senator Kirk Dillard of our congregation has a godly passion to see God working through government, influencing human lives, building up justice, extending welfare, helping lift people. I haven't asked him about it. It just radiates. It burns in his bones. There are many others with passion for God's service in this church. I think of pharmacist Tom Marks, who burns with a desire to see medicines compounded in ways that make them easier on people, easier to take, quicker to heal. And so his mind is always turning with how he can do that job better. It's in his bones. What I want to ask you is what is an issue, a problem, a principle, or a group of people for which God has enkindled your heart? What is it? It may be through your job or your family or your workplace, your school, your hobbies, that this passion shows itself. But one thing is absolutely for sure, this is a crucial part of why God put you here. Why he sent you into this world. Follow the passion. Alongside of your testimony, your life lessons, and your godly passions, there is a fourth and final dimension of your life's mission I want to urge you to think about today. It is the job of sharing with people who are not yet members of the family, not yet followers of Jesus, sharing with them the path of salvation, the path into family membership. No one can make another person walk along that path. No one can force another human being to walk along that path. But we can surely pray for it, and we can surely explain to others in love when they ask what the footsteps on that pathway look like, the ones that we, too, have walked. For memory's sake, I find it helpful to think of those steps as like flagstones marked with an A, a B, a C, and a D. A is admit. The first step in the path of salvation to is, it, is to admit that your life is stained with sin and you can't get it out. It is stained with a sin that separates you from a full relationship with God and from the purity of relationship with others. B is to believe. It is to believe that only the blood of Jesus Christ, only the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross 
can wash out that sin. Will, by faith, by His grace, wash out that sin. C is commit. Commit to following Jesus, to obeying His word, to seeking His purposes for your life. And D is discover. Discover in that following the truth of God's promises for you, a more abundant life here and now, an eternal life with God and His family forever in heaven. This is the pathway to salvation. Jesus has given each of us a magnificent mission. A magnificent mission to go into all of the world as witnesses of his life-changing love. This dimension of our mission is the one that we share together. It is different than our specific mission. That mission of sharing the path of salvation is the common mission of every member of the family. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. Think for a moment about the example that Jesus left us. He came giving testimony of the Father's life-changing, transforming love. He shared a body of life lessons that 2,000 years later, people are still reading, still studying, still trying to apply to their life. Jesus demonstrated a godly passion. In his case, it was a passion that he repeated again and again to seek and to save the lost to redeem the lost, to buy people back from slavery to sin, to reach the lost of every generation. And finally, Jesus shared with people the path of salvation. In fact, he blazed it with his own feet and marked it with his own blood. In a few weeks' time, you and I may find ourselves with an unusual opportunity to share our life message, our witness, with some newly curious people. This open door will come, perhaps, through the influence that I believe a film soon to be released is likely to have in creating curiosity amongst many people. Many of you will have heard of the new film, The Passion of the Christ, set to open in theaters on the 25th of February. You've heard perhaps the controversy surrounding the film. You've heard people ask whether this is anti-Semitic or not. What may not be so clear from you, for you from the press that you have seen is the godly passion that surely motivated the creation of this work, having seen it. It flowed from a sense of mission that burned in the hearts of the actor Jim Caviezel, who plays the part of Jesus in this new film, and in the bones of the director and producer Mel Gibson, a passion that wouldn't let them stop until this film was made. It's not a normal thing for a pastor to run film from Hollywood in a worship service. Let me be very clear that this is just a work of art. It's just a stained glass window in a sense. It's not the second coming of Jesus. It's not the greatest thing to hit the planet in 2,000 years. 
It's simply a window into the wonder of what happened, into the heart of Jesus Christ and his mission in the world. Not everyone will see this film. Not everyone who sees it will like it. But many, I think, are going to be impacted by it. Because this film is so extremely close to the scriptural account of Christ's life, does such a job, a great job of displaying the heart of Jesus and the focus of his life and ministry, the significance of his sacrifice, believers are going to find themselves reminded again of the wonder of Christ's self-giving love, the staggering sanity and splendor of his vision of life in the midst of a world gone mad, the reality of human sin and our still desperate need in our time for a Savior. Non-Christians will, I suspect, be moved to ask questions. Questions about Jesus. And because the life of Jesus prior to the crucifixion is handled by flashbacks, you're left hungering to know more of this Jesus. This Jesus before the cross. And this is why we are providing you this morning with that purple insert that describes something of how we as a church hope to provide a very safe and hospitable place for people to process the feelings and questions that will be generated if they see this film. I'd like to walk with you through some of the information you have there in your hand. I'll do it using the window up above and fill that in a bit for you. Some of you will wait to go and see this film on your own. You'll want to go and bring a friend, maybe a non-Christian friend or family member, to see the film with you. It is showing at nearby Yorktown and Seven Bridges Cinemas beginning February 25th. You can get your own tickets by stopping by or by calling yourself. But we as a church have also purchased several large blocks of tickets in the hope of making sure that you and someone that you might be led to invite with you can go to this film in the first week or two of its release. All you need to do is contact one of the core communities of our church, Sunday Forum, uh, Christ Church Women, MOPS, any one of the mid-sized fellowships of our church which have these blocks of tickets. You can contact the church office for more information. Parents, if you are considering allowing your teenagers to see this film, do be aware, as Jim Caviezel says, that it does contain violence. I've seen the film. None of it is gratuitous violence, but it is rated R for realistic. And there are realistic scenes of the scourging and the crucifixion of Jesus there. We have chosen to send a group from our high school core community, but only where parents have signed a release form for this. You may choose personally to accompany your son or daughter, yourself, to this film, or you may choose to take a pass on seeing this film uh, for those younger members of the family altogether at this time. Secondly, come and think about it. Over the course of the Lenten season, on Sunday mornings and again at 5.30, we're going to be exploring together the kinds of questions that many people who see this film will be asking. Even for those of you who have walked with Jesus for many, many years, knowing more clearly the answers to those questions should help to equip you to be able to respond 
to the questions that others ask you. Thirdly, we invite you to come and talk about it. On Tuesday nights during the season of Lent, we'll be holding a special discussion forum here on experiencing the passion of Jesus. Greg Ogden will be leading that series with some other facilitators. It's a great place to come and have a chance in an interactive way to process uh, what has been raised for you or those you know in this film. You can also explore it further by reading any one of a variety of printed materials, which our church will also supply uh, through our bookstore. And I invite you to consider just what those resources, as you pick them up, uh, could do to deepen your own faith and understanding of the faith and as you minister uh, to others. Finally, please know that we are in the process now of unrolling a publicity plan, a promotion effort to try and get the word out and let our wider community know that we can be a safe and hospitable place to come and process those questions and the experience they have as they see that film, but the most potent potent inviters will be you. It will be your personal invitation to someone to come and sit with you, to talk with you over a cup of coffee, to attend worship with you, to go to one of the midweek forums with you. At the end of the day, we remember the words of Jesus himself. Who do you say that I am? What do you make of Jesus? This is the question Jesus asks of the world. But to his followers, his family, Jesus says something else. He says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you. I am here this morning, personally, because 27 years ago, someone out there took that mission seriously enough to answer my questions, to reach out to me. And perhaps you are here because someone else did at some point along your life's journey. The question is, in a month's time, will anyone new be here, be in some church somewhere, some Bible study group, some prayer fellowship? Will anybody run to meet us across the space of eternity one day because you or I took steps to express our knowledge that in this world of choices and options and distractions, we knew we had been made for a mission. Please pray with me. Our gracious Lord and God, we long to live a purposeful life. We long to be ones whose lives are marked by vital worship. That we might be people who know that we are planned for your pleasure and view everything about us as a living sacrifice for you. We pray, O oh God, that you might grant us the capacity to remain connected to your family, to know just how deeply important is our place in your family. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us into that forever fellowship. 
and that you have endowed us with the opportunity within this circle to mature in Christ-likeness, to become more like him. We praise and thank you, Lord, that you have given us a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And so we lift before you today this needy world of ours. We pray for our friends and neighbors, for our family members who are not yet part of your family, who find themselves still caught in the vice grip of this world, blinded or enslaved in ways they may have grown so accustomed to they no longer even feel it. We ask, O God, that you might use us to be your gracious witnesses, that we might not come across as imperialists, as people out for their own pleasure, but as humble servants, sharing with one beggar from the heart of another beggar where to find food. We lift before you this day those whom we know to have special needs as they struggle with illness, as they struggle looking for new work, as they deal with pain in their families, as they look for guidance at a fork in the road. Oh God, use us, we pray, to be vessels of your blessing. For this we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who has sent us, and in the words which we sing together, saying, Please rise for the benediction. And now, beloved, go forth into all the world as witnesses of the life-changing love of Jesus Christ in your testimony of his work in your life, in your sharing of those lessons he's taught you through fire in your exercise of that godly passion he's put in your bones, and in your sharing of the path of salvation 
May the Lord God himself send his power through you, work in the lives of others through you, strengthen you for all his good purposes this day and until we stand with Jesus face to face and forevermore. Amen.